the last page has been turned on my most recent read, and I'm still on the hot chocolate, nothing's changed since last week, though my throat is admittedly a little bit scratchy, so it's probably time to switch to the honey and lemon, because the minute the calendar clicked over into November, that cold front definitely made itself known. It's been raining here for over a week, my feet are freezing, and... It gets really dark at around quarter to four in the afternoon. So yeah, winter is here. There's no more winter is coming. Sorry, George R. R. Martin. I'm nicking that one. It's been another busy week, but with a new website and brochure to launch at work, that was bound to happen, unfortunately. I wanted to make November just a little bit different. So after racking my brains for a while, I came up with something I hope you'll really enjoy. November is no longer just a dreary month of rain and drizzle. It's a month of book to film adaptations. And I have pinked what I think is an interesting and very contrasting collection. Right now, I'm ready to tell you all about the book and film I've just finished. So here I am, relatively spoiler free, definitely opinion filled and ready to roll. All of which means it's time for the latest episode of Being Bookish. Okay, I'm just going to pause for a minute. The no spoilers thing may be twisted just a little bit this month because of the nature of the books and the films themselves. These aren't little films that no one saw. These are all blockbusters of their day. Because for one, I'm actually going back to the mid 80s and I have a special guest to come on. So spoilers may be just a little bit harder to avoid. But I will do my best. I'm your host, Ray, self-confessed bookworm, introvert, hermit, long-term depression sufferer and ex-coffee addict. Join me on my journey through my ever-growing to-be-read pile, which is still growing very much bigger, and enjoy the latest of my 100% sort of spoiler-free book reviews. Welcome to November and the first in my adaptation series. That was actually a good film too, you know, the one with Nicolas Cage and Meryl Streep. Anyway, I digress, sort of. Has anyone seen his latest film, that was rather weird. This week, I am going to be talking about a YA adaptation that went on to spawn three further films, made a massive star of Jennifer Lawrence, and was originally a series of three books inspired possibly by the 1996 Japanese novel Battle Royale. Yep, I am talking about The Hunger Games by Suzanne Collins. Join me on a trip to the capital where we're going to watch as adults encourage 24 children to rip each other to shreds in the name of punishment disguised as entertainment. So light a few candles or perhaps just switch on that reading lamp because a bit of atmosphere is always a wonderful accompaniment to a reading session. Get yourself a fresh cup of something hot or a glass of something chilled depending entirely on when you're listening and what your preference is. And let's get started. Could you survive on your own in the wild with everyone out to make sure you don't live to see the morning? 
In the ruins of a place once known as North America lies the nation of Panem, a shining capital surrounded by 12 outlying districts. The capital is harsh and cruel and keeps the districts in line by forcing them all to send one boy and one girl between the ages of 12 and 18 to participate in the annual Hunger Games, a fight to the death on live TV. 16-year-old Katniss Everdeen, who lives alone with her mother and younger sister, regards it as a death sentence when she steps forward to take her sister's place in the games. But Katniss has been close to dead before, and survival for her is second nature. Without really meaning to, she becomes a contender, but if she is to win, she will have to start making choices that weight survival against humanity and life against love. The entire book, as with many of the more recent YA novels out there, is told through the eyes of our central protagonist, Katniss Everdeen. I haven't read the book in a good few years, admittedly, and the film was actually a single watch event in the cinema on release weekend. Though I do own the DVD and it's been on every streaming service at some point. I actually found it on Netflix and gave it a rewatch just so I could give it a fair chance for this recording. The book and film start out similarly enough, showing the darkness and depression that the citizens battle against every day. In the book, most of what is said is obviously internalised thought, while in the film, everything has to be shown. But Katniss in the book is far less whiny. That's one thing I couldn't help but notice when re-watching the film. Katniss is actually quite irritating, especially at the beginning. I know, yeah, she's in a traumatic situation, but she lacks that stoic mindset that book Katniss displays. She's far too emotional. Peter in the film is actually far more competitive and has a far more competitive mindset. While in the book, he is less confident and secure in his abilities. And though it's great to see him act as though he knows what he's doing, the way that we're introduced to him in the book is my preference. But then, to be honest, the book is my preference overall. As the two tributes from District 12 travel towards what they are positive will be their doom, they are introduced to the wonders and delicacies that the fruits of their endless labour produce for the capital. Rich foods, hot chocolate, luxuries that they have never encountered in their lifetime. A lot of time is spent in the book explaining the grandeur that Peter and Katniss encounter and their reaction to it. Haymitch, their advisor, is clearly an alcoholic, barely functioning and with no interest whatsoever in providing advice for his two mentees until they prove that they have a bit of fight in them. However, this is a complete contrast to film Haymitch, who is high functioning and though showing interest in the tributes, he is only offering small pieces of advice. The book makes a lot of the smaller elements of the story, such as repeated showing of Katniss remembering the time when Peter was throwing away burnt bread. Every time she recalls what occurred, a little more detail is added, as though we need to see it again and again and again. It's interminable. When the tributes are sent to be graded by the game makers, Katniss is very frustrated with the lack of attention that they show her. Though in the book, the scene with the roast pig is far more dramatic as they are sitting at the table when Katniss shoots the apple, putting them at far more risk of being hit should she miss her mark. There are moments when the film actually gives us an interesting insight into the other side of the story. I'm not saying that I prefer it because I don't, but it does give us a chance to see why certain things happen. 
The perfect example of that is when Katniss is headed for the outlying areas of the arena in an attempt to get away from the other competitors, and she is caught in a fire and seriously injured. In the book, it feels as though the fire and the motivation for it come out of nowhere. But in the film, we see that she is headed for the very edge of the arena, a place that the game makers understandably don't want her to see. So they use the fire as a way to turn her around. This, of course, makes you question, why is the additional storytelling necessary? If the book is good enough, then the supplemental elements shouldn't be, but they are. Katniss's inner monologue in the book is invaluable. She gives us insight into the events that are taking place, but only from her perspective, which can occasionally feel a little bit limiting. However, in the film, we don't have access to her thought processes, which can be somewhat frustrating. And that's why characters such as Seneca Crane and Caesar Flickerman are so helpful. They are merely there to fill up the plot holes that are left by our inability to get inside Katniss's head. Though the film is over two hours long, there is something missing when it comes to the desperation. In the book, we have the fear that Katniss is first going to dry of dehydration, then the pain from her burns and the lack of access to food. In this, the food is there. She has water from the very beginning and the desperation, that need is gone. In the book, Rue's death is sudden and painful and emotional because she's been like a butterfly flitting around, hovering on the edge of Katniss's awareness. In the film, her death, to me at least, felt less so despite the fact that we knew her better and for longer. Her death was the only moment when I allowed myself a moment to cry because it felt so senseless, more so than the others, though they were no less unnecessary. To be honest, the whole thing is unnecessary, but obviously political games and everything else have to have some purpose and outlet. When the two survivors can be winners if from the same district announcement is made, Katniss starts her desperate search for Peter. But whether you're watching the film or reading the book, it feels no less insincere. I wish she were more feeling, more emotional, less like a robot in her thought processes. But I think that in some ways it's necessary because without her being that way, she probably wouldn't have volunteered or stood a chance of survival in such a harsh and inhumane situation. When Katniss is nursing Peter in the cave, she is desperate to get him well enough to get through the final days of the games. She needs him to survive. There is no real heart to heart. It's not a time for them to confide in each other. In the film, so much more is made of it, and in order to elevate it and create a potentially tormented love triangle, they use a shot of Gale and his own anguish at seeing Peter and Katniss kissing. Everything about the games themselves is brutal. <laughs> There's no other way to describe it, there really isn't. They are entertainment for the masses in their basest form. But what does that say for the society that finds them to be entertaining? The mind games, for that is what they end up being, that they are playing, is cruel, unnecessary, and it is only at the very end that Katniss starts to play the games by their rules, having cooperated until the point where she realises that she has to play against them, that they have to have a winner, and if they don't get one, then their own manipulations are at risk. I have to be honest and say that though I read this book years ago, way before the film came out, 
I hadn't read it since. I have never felt the urge to pick it up and give it a second read, just as I didn't feel the need to watch the film again. On second reread and rewatch, I realised that while they were very different, they actually complemented each other to a degree, with the film clearly set up to be there for the sequels only and the plot points that were only briefly touched upon in the books. As you know, I like to provide a balanced perspective when it comes to the books I look at. And while my opinion will be what it is, taking a look at reviews from both ends of the spectrum can help. So before I give you my review, what did others think of The Hunger Games by Suzanne Collins? Sarazen gave the book just one star. So what was it they didn't like? I'm just getting started on this one and coming off Never Let Me Go. I have to say that I am having a hard time liking it so far. Really, it's the voice. To be in the first person and that first person to be supposedly around 18 with little education, well, I just don't buy the way that she is talking and it's bouncing me out of the story badly. It doesn't help that she describes a lot of things that don't need describing, too, such as, I watched Gail cut the bread. Come on, can't Gail just cut the bread? All the I statements make for a rather tedious, self-absorbed perspective. First person doesn't have to be that way, though. Naughty, lazy writer. Bad. No Nobel for you. I'm really, really hoping this gets better and I plan to finish if for no other reason than further research into what sort of writing can become a bestseller. So far, though, well, it's agony. Ugh. Conducted, slumber, verb, tenuous, of late. Are these really words and expressions that this character would use? Really? I call BS. This book is driving me crazy, and yes, I know that these complaints make me sound like some diction harpy, but come on. Oh, thank God I'm done with this sad excuse for a novel. I read all the way to the end, hoping that all the graphic nonsense would build up to something. Sad, sad, sad. The voice never got better. Or, well, it remained what seemed to be a 45-year-old recently fired psychopathic adjunct professor, and I found it impossible to suspend my disbelief. The gore was never a problem because I never cared for any of the characters. Of course, it tried to play on the themes of tyranny and brutality, but with classics like House of Stairs and Lord of the Flies, why would you torture yourself with this? On evaluation of why this book has been such a success, I think the lesson here is action. It does buzz along at a furious clip, and perhaps when I was younger, that would have been enough for me to overlook flaws. But I suppose that is why I generally stay away from the varietal of fiction anymore. Matter of fact, I think I'll go back to that plan A. On Goodreads alone, there are a staggering 7.6 million ratings and over 180,000 reviews. More than 100,000 of those are five-star, but that didn't mean that finding a negative review was hard. I found reading through them interesting, as it appears that many of the reviews have a similar issue with the book and the storytelling pace. The funny thing is that while searching through the reviews, it was easy to find ones that felt as though they had been written for a dissertation, while the shorter reviews, both bad and good, seemed to be, for the most part, I like it, or I didn't. But anyway, let's take a look at the top end of the review scale. 
Karen gave this book a five-star review and couldn't be more effusive about it in a short review, though I'm sure if she had a 1,500-word count limit, she could give it a fair go. Allow me to be relevant for a moment. This book is outstanding. It is all good things. Battle Royale, Battle of Heroes, one of the best movies I've ever made. Don't argue with me. And all the best elements of this survivalist Gary Paulson jag I am on. It kept me up way past my bedtime last night because I could not stop reading, even though my eyes did not want to be awake. And now we veer, as ever, into the personal. This book is my comeuppance. I suppose it is factually my second comeuppance. I used to be a sneerer at grown-ups reading Harry Potter and Twilight and all the stuff that is supposed to be for the kiddies and was disgusted by the infantilizing of our adults' tastes. And then I decided to take a teen lit class this summer for my MLS degree. I figured it would be easy reading and not too challenging and a nice way to spend my summer getting A-pluses and hanging out with my friend. But of course, after I had read a few books from the syllabus, we realised that we had signed up for the wrong class and all the teen books I had been reading, and for the most part enjoying, were not for our class. And the books I was actually supposed to be reading were for much younger readers. Then I was disappointed that I wouldn't be reading all those teen books after all. First comeuppance, regretting mocking teen fiction, because now I have to read actual books for babies, which is so much more infantilizing. And now my second comeuppance. I read this book and it's not on either of the reading lists, but I don't even care. I am now an adult who reads teen fiction. I have to reevaluate everything I thought I stood for. One more thing about the reviews for YA books before I move on to my own review. When did people stop using the sentence case and commas, full stops and everything else? I know it's silly, but when it's typed up on a public forum, there's no read to forget about any of that, right? Did I like The Hunger Games? Here we get into a nice and deep analysis of a book that has a number of themes which could be considered social commentary. There's no denying that The Hunger Games is a post-apocalyptic dystopian novel, though the apocalypse was more of a political rebellion, an uprising against oppressive ruling forces. In the book, the people of the capital are represented by Effie Trinket, but for the most part are a shadow lying over the rest of the characters. They control the other districts with fear, ensuring that they worry not only for their freedom, but their food supply and the safety of their families. Control of the masses is ensured not only with the threat of starvation, but also with the threat of violence, with those who are caught being publicly punished and made into what is referred to as an AVOX by way of their tongues being cut out. The structure of society in this post-apocalyptic world is incredibly influenced by the Roman Empire, something that is not only shown with the violence as entertainment plot, but also the use of chariots and the names of those who work within the capital, such as Seneca, Cinna, Caesar and Flavius. There's no denying the Roman Empire was a time when those in power had ultimate control over everyone and would only protect and provide for those they felt were worthy. Everyone in the outlying districts, such as 11 and 12, is considered useful for the services they provide, but the wealth they have is incredibly sparse, if not non-existent. Even worse, because the only news they get is controlled by the capital, who will only share the information which supports their message, that of cooperation and obedience, they are left, for the most part, in the dark. 
The status quo is kept thanks to media blackouts and the introduction of the Hunger Games bringing the younger generations up to fear that they could easily be chosen to die in front of millions before they reach adulthood. The harsh realities of the games and everything that leads up to the eventual second uprising is far more apparent in the book than in the film, at least as far as I'm concerned. The film is very good at spelling everything out in excruciating detail, because a film has to do a tell-not-show when it comes to the inner thoughts a character is having at any point during the story. Another thing that the film does differently is the subplot. The political machinations that are taking place behind the scenes, especially those of President Snow, are given a far bigger role. Though he does have a massive part to play in the second and third books, he is used to validate the decisions that are made by the game makers in the film. He's ruthless and soulless, and the only reason he makes any of the heartless decisions he does is to maintain control of the people of Pan Am. On the whole, there is far more political unrest shown in the film, and a perfect example of this is the riot that takes place in District 11 following Rue's death in the games. The peacekeepers are sent in to stop the anger from turning into something much worse, whereas in the book, the only show of any kind of rebellion is the fact that they send Katniss a loaf of bread that will have cost them a lot of rations. I have to be honest, I do prefer the book to the film, even though it's a really easy watch. I like to imagine the motivations behind actions and interpret the way that characters look for myself. There are moments where the plot made me groan and I wanted to fling the book across the room. And it's not the first time I felt this way about a book. And there were other times when the near perfection of our female protagonist frustrated me. I know that many people would say that she is a strong example of a female protagonist who is the sole provider for her family following the death of her father. She is skilled with a bow, quick on her feet, and obviously the subject and object of Peter's affections, and possibly Gail's. Because of this, it would be easy to say that she is something of a Mary Sue, because it seems that she is good at everything she tries her hand out without intending to be, despite her protestations that she is not good at making people like her. In contrast, Peter is anything but perfect, but he does his best to improve. He is friendly and likeable, two things that Katniss struggles with, and it is for this reason that he is the perfect foil for his tribute partner. He has skills, but is incredibly self-deprecating when anyone mentions what he's good at, as though he is afraid that he is merely being flattered and won't be able to follow these claims up with proof. The fact that he is also harbouring feelings for Katniss makes him more vulnerable to manipulation and that is, this is something you know the game makers and people in power won't and don't hesitate to use to their advantage. Overall, The Hunger Games is something of an average book and series which had the potential to be so much more but due to the style of writing used was restricted to the level it reached by its own limitations. Will I read the rest of the Hunger Games series again? I actually do have the other books, both in physical and ebook format, but I have to be honest, I don't think I need to read the rest of them again, at least not now. There are a lot of books I would rather read instead, and I'm thinking about my TBR and kind of grimacing. I may well watch the films, but here, and I have to be honest, I will be watching both parts of Mockingjay for the first time as I was so disillusioned when it came to some of the changes they made between the book and the film that I was put off watching them. 
If you're looking for something like this or you loved this and want something else, then you'll love these. Time was that there weren't that many dystopian novels out there, at least for the YA audience. Now you can't turn without knocking down a pile of them. So let's have a look through some that I have read and others I haven't to find something else. I'm not going to go with the obvious and say read the next two in the series, though Catching Fire and Mockingjay are not bad. The epilogue, though, does make me as annoyed as the epilogue to The Deathly Hallows, which I nearly ripped out of the book. I hated it that much. If you want to read another series, you could try the Four Horsemen series by Laura Thalassa. While this is actually new adult rather than young adult, each book can be read as a standalone. The series starts with pestilence and appropriately ends with death, with war and famine in between, following the four horsemen as they bring about the complete destruction of the human race, while also discovering something resembling their own humanity. If you're looking for another series of books that were turned into films, then there's the first in the Pitticus Law series, I Am Number 4, or Veronica Roth's Divergent, Allegiant and Insurgent or possibly The Maze Runner by James Dashner. Yes, the list goes on and on, as it appears the demand for this particular genre is endless. It's been another quiet week, but I have been less disciplined when it comes to book purchases. I gave in to my urges and purchased three new books, Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow, Better Than the Movies and The Very Secret Society of Irregular Witches. I have read my way through two of them and will be doing my utmost to resist the urge to buy more next week. Though I'm not sure how good I'm going to be when I've got another one arriving on Thursday. I have been working my way through my TBR over the last few months, but I am not averse to getting more books. And that's why I am never going to say no if you've got a recommendation. If there is a fiction novel you think I would love, recommend away. Seriously, send me an email at notbeforecoffeepodcast at gmail.com. Yes, I know it's an old email address. Or DM me on Twitter or Instagram. And I have joined Mastodon. My username is at beingbookish. And I will be sure to take a look. This week we're actually well into November, though I have no idea how that happened or where the rest of the year has gone. Seriously, how is it November? All this means is that many of the books coming out now will be ones you might gift to the reader in your life or maybe buy for yourself. So let's take a look at some of the books coming out in the week starting on the 7th of November. If you're looking for a romantic Christmas read and you're a fan of Groundhog Day, then Lindsay Kelt's 2022 offering is one you'll want. The Christmas Wish is a sweet tale, which makes you realise that Christmas every day is not necessarily a good thing, because love needs time to grow. A period novel combined with a murder mystery and magic? Where do I sign up, seriously? Apparently, with A Restless Truth, the follow-up to Freya Mask's best-selling novel, A Marvelous Light. I personally loved The Versions of Us by Laura Barnett. In fact, I think I recommended it for a book club where they didn't like it, but I still did. So it's highly possible her latest novel, Gifts, will find its way onto my TBR in the next few months. 
a story of a woman trying to figure out the perfect gift for an old friend who is moving home following a divorce. The summary makes it sound far more interesting than I do, I promise. Daughter of the Moon Goddess was a massive hit for fantasy readers when it came out at the beginning of this year. So the second and final book in the Celestia Kingdom duology, Heart of the Sun Warrior by Su Lin Tan, will no doubt hit the right spot when it's released. Have to be honest, I haven't talked about all the books coming out in the next week or so. But if you do want to find out more about new releases, make sure to sign up for my newsletter, which I will be getting back to working on by clicking the button on my website or heading to my Twitter page. I promise I will be getting my reviews written and getting everything back in place to give you the newsletters that you deserve. I also have to say a massive thank you this week as I hit another massive milestone with over 13,000 listens, which I am in absolute awe over. So thank you to everyone who has listened and still sticks around to listen to more. Also, have you checked out the new section on my website? If not, head over and take a look at my rapid reviews, a spoiler-free book review you can read in less than three minutes. So how are things in the bookish household this week? Put it this way, I think the best way to answer this is this episode is coming out on Thursday rather than Monday. My weekend was a little bit manic. I am hugely concerned about my cat who is acting incredibly unlike herself and that in turn is giving me many restless nights sleep. I normally can sleep through pretty much anything when it comes to noise. I can't, if, if there's light, forget it. But any noise I can sleep through. However, I have been suffering so badly from insomnia for the last couple of weeks that even the slightest sound disturbance is waking me up. Or I'm not able to get to sleep at all, which I'm struggling with. I have reduced the amount of time that I spend online, which is a positive thing for me. And it has proved to help a lot with my mental state in general. Unfortunately, the lack of sleep that I'm having has led me to, I'd say, I don't think reading is a bad thing, but I am finding that I am reading a lot more. I'm staying up a lot later because I'm reluctant to go to sleep or reluctant to even try to go to sleep. I've had the most peculiar dreams. And when I wake up in the morning, it truly looks as though I've had a battle with someone in my slumber because the covers are on the floor, the pillows are on the floor and my bottom sheet looks like I've been wrestling. Not in a good way. So... Overall, things haven't been amazing, but I am hugely hopeful that getting everything sorted with Darcy, who you may have heard a couple of times in this episode, and maybe picking up meditation again will do me the world of good. I've just got to get everything back on track. Well, 
that's it for this week and thank you for listening if you like what you hear why not share it with your friends and family and please post a star rating on apple podcasts spotify or any of the other podcatchers where you listen believe me i do read all your reviews when you leave them you can follow me on twitter at being underscore bookish on instagram at being bookish pod or on mastodon yes mastodon at being bookish or you can check out my website, beingbookish.co.uk. Well, I've got a lot to get ready for next week because the book is huge. So until next time, this is me saying farewell. Farewell.